Well, this morning in our study in the book of Matthew, as we come to Matthew 4, we are going to be reminded of what of, of that about which we just sang, that we need him. We're going to see in this account of Jesus being tested by Satan, that one of Satan's main tactics is to try to convince us that we don't need God. That we can live independently from him. We've noted that the human author of the book, Matthew, the Apostle Matthew, certainly is writing at least with a couple of major uh, purposes in mind. One, to encourage unbelieving Israel that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And the word Messiah means the anointed one. That king that's promised in 2 Samuel 7 who will inherit David's throne and reign forever and ever over a kingdom of righteousness and peace. Also, Matthew writes to encourage believers, to especially to encourage Israelite believers, Jewish believers, that Jesus is indeed God, that he did rise from the dead, that he is our living Savior who is there to walk with us and encourage us and strengthen us to live for him. And as Matthew records for us this thread of who Jesus is. We have seen in chapter 3 and today in chapter 4 that as Jesus is just about to begin his public ministry, which we'll see next week in chapter 4 verse 12, he records for us the preparation for that ministry. And we saw that Jesus, through his Baptism was affirmed to be the Son of God. He was affirmed to be that suffering servant who will save his people from their sin. And today, we're going to see once again as Jesus makes final preparations for his ministry on earth, that he is purposefully going into the wilderness in order to be tempted by Satan. So as we come to Matthew 4, we're not seeing Jesus as a victim. We're not seeing Jesus unaware, walking into the wilderness and out jumps Satan by surprise. We're seeing Jesus purposefully being led by the Spirit of God into a period of great testing. Why would the Spirit of God lead Jesus Christ into that kind of setting? As we see these verses unfold, we hope to see two major truths in this temptation of Jesus today. Number one, Jesus is absolute holiness. There is no sin in him at all. And two, 
Jesus understands temptation. He understands the schemes of Satan. And yet he never succumbed to those schemes. He is the victor. He's victorious. He never sinned. And we'll see that we find great encouragement from the fact that Jesus can understand the pressures of temptation, but never succumbed to them. I'm going to read the verses out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible. Matthew chapter 4, starting to read in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the temptations, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it's written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Jesus is absolute holiness. And we're going to see him come through these testings today without sin. We're going to see that he succumbs to great pressure. He actually purposefully puts himself into that position of great pressure. But he's the victor. He can understand the pressure of temptation... But never succumbs to it. He never sins. He always walks depending on the Father. And we're going to see that one of Satan's major schemes is to get God's people to start thinking that they don't need God. He, in a sense, wants each and every one of us to try to live independently. But in reality, each and every one of us need to live in assisted living. When it comes to the Lord. You all know that I like to hunt. And one of my hunting buddies for years has struggled with smoking. He really wants to stop. He has tried to stop, but he just has not been able to do it. And if you do a search on the internet on ways to stop smoking, there's all kinds of resources. You can even go to a counselor. Now, my buddy has not 
taken a step of going to a counselor yet. But just suppose he set up an appointment. Shows up, drives up to the building and looks down the alley. And he sees a guy out in the alley smoking. And he comes around, parks his car, comes into the counselor's office. And the dude that was out smoking is the counselor. That wouldn't be very encouraging, would it? You'd say, well, he can empathize with my weakness, but he hasn't found any victory. And what we're going to see today demonstrated for us in Matthew chapter 4 is that Jesus can empathize with the pressures of temptation, but he's the victor. He never succumbed to temptation. He can empathize. He can also come to our assistance because he withstood it. And Matthew wants us to see that. Even before Jesus begins his public ministry, wants to see, wants us to see that Jesus understands. Jesus also always depends on the Father. And Satan's scheme is to get us to think that we don't need God. We're going to begin just by looking at the first two verses. And I want us to notice in verses 1 and 2 that this temptation of Jesus in this wilderness, most likely this desert area, was not a mistake. It wasn't Jesus being in the wrong place at the wrong time. In reality, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into testing by Satan to show something. To show Jesus' obedience and to show his holiness as he prepares to enter his public ministry. As we look at verse 1, there's two verbs there that are passive. Look at it. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. He wasn't leading. He was led by the Spirit of God. The other passive is in the last half of the verse. It says he was led in the wilderness to be tempted. It's a purpose statement. So Jesus allows himself to be led by the Holy Spirit into this wilderness for the purpose of this, of being tempted by Satan. No mistake here. This is all purposeful. Jesus wants to show you and me some truth about himself and some truth about the wiles and the schemes of Satan. He wants us to learn from this. And so Jesus, led by the Spirit, to be tempted by the devil. And it tells us in verse 2 that after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. That little word then is actually in the Greek text. And it could be translated and like afterwards... Or later he became hungry. And we look at that and we kind of scratch our heads saying, how could Jesus been fasting for 40 days and not feel hunger until after the 40 days were complete? 
One of the things that we always see in the Bible in connection with fasting is prayer. And I think Jesus was in this wilderness experience fasting and praying, going without food and praying. But there's more going on than what we see here recorded for us by Matthew. Because Luke also records for us this this account of Jesus being tempting, tempted. And Luke tells us this was a period of spiritual battle. In fact, if you look with me at Luke chapter 4, verse 1, this is what Luke records for us in his account. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. So during the 40 days, Jesus is praying, he's fasting, but he's not having this mountaintop experience where he's just singing and praising the Lord and communing with the Father. He's in a battle. He's being tested by Satan the whole time. Satan is trying to convince Jesus to live independently from the Father. To do his own thing. To satisfy his own desires. And in the midst of that spiritual battle, Jesus isn't even thinking about food. And we come to the end of the 40 day period of time. And it tells us he then became hungry. We're going to see that God put Jesus into this particular situation for a reason. There's purposefulness here. It's interesting to see as we look at the scriptures as a whole, God does the same thing with his people. We can go clear back to the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 22 in the account of Abraham and when God directed Abraham to take his precious son Isaac up and sacrifice him to the Lord. It tells us in Genesis 22, 1, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God's going to instruct him to take his son and offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham in his heart believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. God stopped him before he actually carried that out. But it was a test. We see in John chapter 6 verses 5 and 6. In the account of the feeding of the 5,000. That Jesus brings Philip into a test. And it tells us in verse 5, Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he knew he was saying to test him. For he himself knew what he was intending to do. James talks about this in verses that I have always found counterintuitive. They're hard verses. I put them to memory years ago just because I need them in my own life. James chapter 1 starting to read 
in verse 2 says this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That's the counterintuitive part. Uh, how many of us think that it's joyful when we hit tough time, when we hit tough times? James says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And that endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, God allows you and me to head into trials as well. And sometimes in those trials, Satan and his forces and the forces of this world are full bore trying to get you and trying to get me to think that we can live independently from God. And James says, God brings us through these times. God allows us into these times to strengthen us. My wife, Barbara, and I, have, we have three adult sons. And when our sons were still in our home, they were all athletes. Our oldest son was a track guy. The other two guys played basketball. But the youngest boy was the passionate athlete in our family. I can never, ever remember telling that kid, you need to go practice. It was part of his DNA. When he was like two and a half, we had him in a swimming pool. And Barbara just turned her head for a second, looked back around. He ran over to the diving board, ran across the diving board, and just jumped right in. He had no fear. When he was like in first grade, maybe kindergarten, first grade, his grandparents took him to this pool in Omaha that had the Olympic size, the platforms that you do the Olympic diving off of. He watched these big guys do it for a while and just went up the ladder of the tallest platform, went to the end and did a perfect dive right off of it. He actually had people clapping and then he got kicked out of the pool because they told him he was too little. We would catch him in his room. He would take his brother's book bags and put his brother's books into the book bags and he'd do curls with the book bags because so he could, so he could, he just felt squirt. And that passion continued on and on and on in his life to when he got in high school, he bought these special shoes that were, were weighted and they increased your vertical and he just brutalized himself with those shoes just to get a couple more inches on his vertical. Why? Because resistance builds strength. And James says resistance builds strength. When you find yourself, when I find myself in times of testing, James says, consider it all joy because it's an opportunity for God to strengthen you and make you more like Jesus. And here, Jesus purposefully goes into this time of testing. And we're going to see one of the reasons is to encourage you and to encourage me that when we face those times of testing, he understands 
He understands, but he also is able to come to our aid because he never succumbed to the test. And one of the things that we can see as we move into verses 3 through 11 is that it's important for us to recognize Satan's tactic. Nothing new under the sun. We're going to see from the beginning of our Bible to the end of our Bible, Satan always does the same thing. He tries to convince God's people that they don't need God. He tries to convince people that, hey, I can live independently when each and every one of us need to live in assisted living. Assisted living from God. And Satan's main effort is to get you to think To get me to think that I don't need him. He uses a tactic of tempting people to find fulfillment apart from God. Notice verse 3. And the tempter came. I just want to remind us. That what the Bible tells us about the identity of the tempter, the devil, Satan, who he is. He is in absolute opposition to God. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 calls him the God of this world. I'll read that verse. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. John chapter 12 verse 31 calls him the ruler of this world. Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 3 show us that he is a deceiver. I'll read those verses. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old. Remember that. We're going to go look at that in a little bit. Who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were completed. After these things he must be released for a short time. He is the deceiver. And he always uses the same tactic. He tries to convince people that they can find fulfillment apart from God. He tries to convince people that we can live independently from God. John talks about. That force in the world in which we live in 1st John chapter 2 verses 15 and 16. Remember, Satan is the ruler of this earth. He's the God of this earth. And it says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. And that is exactly what Satan uses to get us to start thinking 
that I can find fulfillment independently from God. And that's exactly what Satan does with Jesus here. So remember verse 2 told us after 40 days, Jesus is hungry. Satan enters the picture here in Matthew 4 verse 4. And it tells uh, verse 3 and it says the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh is I need, my body needs this. Here Jesus is starving. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. And Satan approaches him and said, hey, get instant gratification. Just take that stone, turn it into bread. You're hungry. You're God's son. You're all powerful. You are God. Just do it. Take care of your own needs. Just do it. And Jesus responds by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want us to notice something about Deuteronomy chapter 8. Because it gives us an undergirding, an anchor for this passage. If you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, the people of Israel are just about ready to enter the land of promise. In a sense, kind of like Jesus right now is just about ready to enter his public ministry. And Deuteronomy 8, it tells us in verse 2, that you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. That he might humble you, testing you. To know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry. And fed you with manna which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know. That he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Remember that passage. Also remember that in Exodus chapter 4 Verse 22, God says that Israel is his son. Exodus 4.22 says this. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So here we have Israel. God says Israel's my child, my son. And Deuteronomy 8 tells us God allowed the people of Israel, his son, To wander for 40 years to test them. To see what's in their heart. Now look at the parallel we have with Jesus. He is 40 days in the wilderness. Why? So that he can be tested. So that we can see his heart. And Satan. Approaches. And tells Jesus, hey, just live independently. Just get instant gratification. Just turn those stones to bread. You're hungry. And what does Jesus do? He quotes Deuteronomy 8. And says, man shall not live by bread alone. But on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's saying, I have to live 
my life by depending on the Father. The Father is the one who provides for me. The Father is the one who cares for my needs. I don't have to find instant gratification to somehow find fulfillment for my needs apart from the Father. Satan uses the lust of the flesh to try to tempt Jesus to act independently from the Father. Look at verses 5 through 7. Once again, Satan's tactic, he uses the pride of life. He's going to say, hey Jesus, you're the son of God. Let's take that son of God thing out for a ride. Let's let's see how it works. So you can just kind of say, hey, look at me. I am God's son and look what just happened. So Satan takes Jesus up to the temple complex, to the highest point of the temple complex and says, just check yourself over the edge. And then Satan quotes scripture to Jesus. He quotes from Psalm 91, 11, and 12. And Satan says, the angelic forces will save you. You'll be safe. And Jesus quotes scripture right back to him. Basically saying, Satan, you just took those out of context. Because he says in verse 7, on the other hand, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Quoting from Deuteronomy 6.16. You see, Jesus knows that to test God. Say, God, if you're really real, I want you to do this for me. God, I want you to show yourself through me. I want you to show the world that I'm your son. So do this. And what Jesus is saying is to do that is to demonstrate a lack of trust in the Lord. To do things in his time, his way. The pride of life. Hey, let's just show everybody now who you really are. And finally we come to verses 8 through 10. And Satan uses the lust of eyes to try to tempt Jesus. And he takes him up to a high mount and says... And showed him all the kingdoms of the world, verse 8, and their glory. And said to him, all these things I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. You can have it now. You don't have to go to the cross. Remember, Jesus is fully aware of who he is. He knows he's the suffering servant of Isaiah 42 through 53. He knows he has to go to the cross in order to fulfill God's promises to be the anointed king that will sit on David's throne forever and ever. He knows why he's there to pay for the sin of the world. And here, Satan is saying... Look through your eyes. Look what, look what everything I can give to you right now. You don't have to grow through that gruesome death. I'll give you the kingdom now. And again, Jesus responds with truth. From quotes from Deuteronomy 6.13 and 10.20. and says, go Satan. For it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God. And serve him only. Notice verse 11. It says, then... The devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Isn't that neat how Jesus, in a sense, is telling Satan, I'm going to just trust in my father's provision. 
I don't have to make stuff happen for me myself. I don't have to live independently from my father. And as soon as Jesus stands up against Satan, Satan leaves and God provides for Jesus' needs. We get a lot of salesmen coming to Faith Bible Church. They might find that hard to believe, but lots of salesmen, especially copier salesmen. There must be good money in copier sales because we have lots of salespeople contacting us and they've started a new tactic. They call and they act like they are my best friend. This week... I think it was on Friday, actually, we had a call come in for one of our admins. And the guy says, yeah, uh, this is John Fisk. Can I talk to Steve? Well, that sure sounds personal, doesn't it? But our admin says, hey, well, let me just put you on hold a second. She said, hey, there's some guy named John Fisk that wants to talk with you. Well, this is the first time John's called, but all of his buddies have been calling, doing the same thing for about the last three weeks. They call like they're my best buddy. Hey, let's go out for a burger or something. And it's the salesperson. So our admin came back on the phone and said, by the way, are you representing a company? And John Fisk was. John, if you're here today, please stand. No, I'm sure he's not. Um, he, he was, and that ended the conversation. Now, how did we know to ask if John was with a company? Because John was using a common tactic. Hey, I'll get in the door if I appear to be a friend. And in recognizing the tactic, we could confront the issue. One of the things that we can see from the beginning of scripture to the end is Satan always uses the same tactic. I'm not going to take time to read it this morning. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. Remember Satan in the serpent of old that Rev 20 talks about? Satan appears to Eve. Hey, are you sure God said that about that tree? And oh, that's not going to happen to you. All that's going to happen to you is that God doesn't really want you to experience what he experiences. And if you do eat from it, man, you're going to have wisdom like you can't believe. And what we find in verse 6 of Genesis 3 is that Eve saw that that that, uh, fruit was good for food, lust of the flesh. It was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes. It was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. You see, there's nothing new under the sun when it comes to Satan. He's all about trying to get you and me to think that we can find fulfillment apart from God. He's all about trying to get us to think that we have enough strength in and of ourselves to live this Christian life by ourselves. I don't need to pray. I don't need God's help. I can do this thing. Life's going good. I don't need to spend time in God's word. I don't need to hear from him. I've got this thing. Life is good. It's always the same tactic. And it's important for us to recognize it so we can combat it. 
Now, the neat thing about Matthew 4 and, and um, Luke chapter 4 is that the truths recorded for us here, the rest of the New Testament writers go back to these and they build on them. And one of my favorite builders on this truth is the author of book of Hebrews. If you ever need encouragement in your life, spurring you on to prayer, spurring you on to crying out to the Lord when you start feeling tempted to live independently from God, go to the end of Hebrews 2 and the end of Hebrews 4. I don't have that good of a memory. I can't remember all the time what the exact verses are, so I just tell myself, end of Hebrews 2, end of Hebrews 4. When need encouragement, end of Hebrews 2, end of Hebrews 4. So let's go there. Hebrews 2, the end of Hebrews 2. It tells us that we can always go to Jesus... And he understands, but he's also the victor. End of Hebrews 2. We're going to find it here. Here's what it says. I'll pick it up in verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered. He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Look at the end of Hebrews 4. Pick it up in verse 16. Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. So that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Why? Verse 15 tells us. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are. Yet without sin. He's been tempted. To satisfy The lust of the flesh. He's been tempted to satisfy the lust of the eyes. He's been tempted to satisfy the boastful pride of life. And he was victorious. And since he was victorious. He can help us. One of the main tactics of Satan. Is to get you to stop praying. To stop coming. And simply saying. I need you. I need you right now. And the reason we stop is we start thinking we can live independently from God in our own pride. I've got this. And instead we need to continually be declaring our need for him. One of the reasons why we have to stay in this book is the same thing that Jesus showed us to take the words of this book, which is God's word to us, and properly apply them in answering back to the lies that this world has to offer. Applying truth. Sometimes we just need to get out of that temptation. We need to flee. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13? Another verse we need to memorize as believers. It says no temptation has overtaken you. But as such is common to man. And God is faithful Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also. So that you will be able to endure it. Satan wants you to believe that you don't need God. Satan wants you to believe that you can find fulfillment apart from Jesus Christ. That's his tactic. And the one who suffered the attack and had victory over it 
is the one who wants to undergird you and undergird me as if we are willing to come to him and ask him to help us. Jesus' temptation showed that he's holy. He's able to identify with our struggle with temptation. Remember the end of Hebrews 2? The end of Hebrews 4. You may be here today and you want to just spend some time praying this morning. I encourage you, There's a we have a prayer room right behind you. One of our leaders will be back there. One of our elders, if you want to pray with someone, please just avail yourself of that. Take some time in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, the encouragement that it brings us. We thank you that it records for us the schemes of Satan. So that under the empowerment of your spirit, we can recognize the scheme. And cry out to Jesus. And find help in time of need. And we pray this in his name. Amen.